This is Forum. I'm John Michaels, Public Affairs Radio Director, going to be talking about human trafficking in Sioux Falls and uh, the new person who's in charge of coordinating all of that through the uh, Attorney General of South Dakota in Pierre, uh, Mary Beth Holsworth. Uh, first of all, Becky, tell us what uh, you were called to freedom. And I find it shocking now that you have over 28 people on your staff to handle human trafficking in Sioux Falls. Yeah, so do I. That's unfortunate and fortunate in the sense that we're providing really needed services to those that are victimized by human trafficking. One of the things, uh, Call to Freedom was established in 2016, and we've been really intentional about developing uh, what we call a continuum of care model to serve all individuals impacted by human trafficking. And that has kind of exploded in the sense that there's so many diverse, complex needs for an individual coming out of human trafficking that needs to be met, that it requires a large staff to do that. And we have a great staff that is very caring, intentional, and also educated in offering those services. And so we have individuals that actually go into the prisons and jails and work with that forced criminality piece. Uh, we have uh, several case managers that work specifically with youth. Um, we have several trainers that go into our communities and do prevention intervention. Um, and we also have a housing project called Marissa's House that houses uh, women that have been victimized by human trafficking and their children, which has been one of the greatest projects to be a part of. Uh, but essentially what, what we want to offer is uh, wraparound services to those that have been victimized by human trafficking. And Sound of Freedom now is on Netflix, and people can you know get an idea of what we're talking about a little bit. Uh, Mary Beth Holdsworth, uh, you've been now the human trafficking state coordinator for South Dakota now for, for how long? It's, it's a new position, isn't it? Yes, it is new, and I've been here for a little over a year. Well, tell us, what is the human trafficking state coordinator do? Basically, my role is to walk alongside and partner with other organizations and agencies that are already doing the important hard work, uh, but then also kind of help them identify what else the state needs and then try to do as much as possible to uh, support efforts to make that happen. Well, I've been president of the Jefferson Elementary, and I've was South Dakota Parent Connection for six years, but you have a whole list of uh, things that you've been doing in, in your uh, former positions. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so my background started about 14 years ago when two of my sons were sexually abused by a relative, and that sent uh, my boys and I on a mission to see what we could do to uh, protect other kids and improve the response of child sexual assault in the state. Through that, I was able to be a part of Jolene's Law and get that going in the state. And then we helped create the Center for Prevention of Child Maltreatment and the REACH Center and just a whole bunch of incredible initiatives across the state, uh, bringing adverse childhood experiences training, enough abuse prevention training, and just a lot of other initiatives that address child maltreatment as a whole. And so did that purely as a volunteer and shared uh, my son's story of resilience and overcoming what they went through uh, and then five years ago, I was offered the position at the South Dakota Wounds Prison as reentry coach and also became a backup correction officer. And that was probably my favorite career I have ever had and spent a wonderful time there and then moved on to this position. Can you comment on, on as far as your son, what can you tell other parents? Because it's not only the human trafficked person, but uh, the family that goes through trauma, too. 
Absolutely. And that's um, oftentimes why I get asked to share their story to help people really understand what child sexual assault does to the children, but then also the family as a unit. Um, And then what that healing process looks like and how best to support our children when they go through that. And so I'm very blessed that, you know, my sons are willing to have their story told and they do it knowing that not only does that help them heal because it removes the power of what happened to them, but it also gives others a chance to know that healing and thriving is possible as well. You watched the movie Sound of Freedom? Becky, I mean, have you uh, seen the movie? I have seen the movie, yes. Um, We're very thankful for the momentum that was created off of Sound of Freedom. Um, Here in the United States, it looks a little different. A lot of the same techniques that you saw in Sound of Freedom are from grooming, recruiting, um, offering false promises. Um, those are very real in the dynamic of human trafficking. Um, but in the in, in the state of South Dakota, um, there's some different dynamics that create within our communities to uh, successfully facilitate human trafficking. Why do you have 28 employees? Tell us about, uh, you know, what what is the amount of uh, people that uh, you handle? Yeah, we have served over 1,200 individuals since opening the doors of Call to Freedom. Um, since in actually the first two years Call to Freedom was established, we were simply volunteers because of funding. And we hired our first grants director in November of 2017. And, um, you know, we've taken off from there. And then one of the things that we've been very intentional about is when a survivor would walk through the doors of Call to Freedom and maybe they weren't as successful as we wanted them to be, we would ask the question, what do we need to add to our continuum of care model to really give them every opportunity to be successful? And that's what really has developed the 28 staff that we're talking about because there are so many needs from employment support to mental health to addiction to Um, having a counselor, but even budgeting. um, Those are things that we take for granted that somebody that has experienced trauma, such as human trafficking, struggle to be able to overcome those obstacles to be successful in life. And so Call to Freedom really wants to be that organization that comes alongside someone as long as they need them. Been very intentional about not taking money that would dictate the amount of time that somebody can receive services from call to freedom. So that person who walks through the door can make that determination when they are ready to separate from call to freedom or kind of change the services that they're receiving. Becky Rasmussen of call to freedom in Sioux Falls. Uh, Mary, uh, Mary Beth Holsworth, the human trafficking state coordinator for South Dakota. Uh, how many cases reach peer and, and, and when, how does it get to peer? Is there a level? I, I remember having a case I put through the Sioux Falls Human Relations, and that ended up with another coordinator in peer. Um, how does that, uh, uh, do they kind of work with Call to Freedom in Sioux Falls and then come to you, or how does it come to peer? So it can come through a variety of ways. Sometimes I've had people just randomly find my number, and they reach out to me directly uh, because DCI, which is the Division of Criminal Investigation, who is, which is who I actually work for under the Attorney General, uh, we're an investigative support agency, so oftentimes law enforcement around the state, whether it's um, local, county, tribal, whatever it may be, they may reach out to us and say, you know what, we have a case we think it's either human trafficking and we're not really sure, can you tell us what you think, or we have a case and we need more resources, can you help us with this? And so it can come to us really for a variety, through a variety of different avenues. Call to Freedom and a few of our other organizations across the state are, you know, just awesome about reaching out if they need some ideas. Uh, we also partner with our federal partners, the FBI and Homeland Security. 
uh, just anytime anyone needs help, they know that I am here and willing to, to see what I can do. You mentioned home security with all of the children crossing the southern border. Are we seeing any of them showing up in South Dakota? Yes, uh, a lot of our foreign nationals are involved in the labor trafficking piece, but also the sex trafficking piece. Um, I mean, we, we know that all these individuals are definitely hoping for a, a better life. And so South Dakota, as we know, is a good place. <laughs> so a lot of times they end up here, but that also opens the door for a lot of vulnerabilities that traffickers uh, you look for when they are when they are wanting to find someone that they can exploit. Talking to uh, Mary uh, Beth Holsworth, a human trafficking state coordinator for South Dakota. How many cases are you handling now? Uh, you're, like I say, the office is fairly new, but a couple of years ago it might have been maybe a couple dozen. But what is it now? Right now, because we're it's still very slow to get the information out there about what human trafficking is. It's still about the same. We just aren't seeing. The numbers reflect what we know is evident in the state, and that's just because we're trying to get that education out there. We're trying to train more and more um, people across the state to identify what human trafficking is. Right now, oftentimes what they think is just what they see in Hollywood, and that, as Becky had mentioned earlier, that's really not what it looks like in South Dakota that often. So right now we're trying to really broaden that awareness and that knowledge of what to look for so we can start getting you know, tips and referrals, and we're really equipping and building relationships between law enforcement and our service providers so we can know that if our survivors who are recovered, they want that that law enforcement report made and they want prosecution, that they have a better chance of actually having that happen now. The United Nations defines human trafficking as the recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, or receipt of people through force fraud or deception with the aim of exploiting them for profit. Uh, profit is the key. And are, are we seeing the cartels involved with some of the people that uh, you, you come across? Is that question for me or Becky? Well, both of you. Oh, okay. I know that it's more of what we see across the state is the familial type trafficking, the parental trafficking, um, spouse trafficking, then the labor trafficking, we're not seeing like as much as direct cartel involvement, but we know that is definitely a reality here in South Dakota. And Becky can definitely touch on that as well. Um, trafficking is just, it involves so many people in so many different ethnic groups and so many different communities across the state. It's definitely not focused to one group like the cartels, though we know they're very active here in South Dakota. I, I could say the cartels, if, if they aren't, they have been here, right, uh, Becky? Yeah, I would say that cartel, the structure of the cartel organized front is very difficult to identify in cases, uh, simply for the fact that those aren't typically the people that get arrested. It's usually the people they use as their front runners in those cartel rings. And so in those rings, you typically have the, the top of the ring. And then the gangs that are on those lower ring are on that lower level of that ring, um, which could be a youth, it could be a woman, it could be um, a male, it can come any form or fashion, are typically the ones that get arrested in these cases because the cartel is kind of at a different level and they're influencing the activity and behind the activity, but not necessarily taking the falls for the crimes. Mary, you worked with the women's prison, and you, uh, you're you working now in Pier, which I guess we can say Sioux Falls is one thing. Pier is a different a aspect. You're kind of right in the middle of many reservations there, and reservations comes up pretty uh, for quite some time. Reservations is where a lot of this, uh, a lot of women disappear from there, don't they? 
Yes, and that's why the state also hired the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Coordinator, Allison Morissette, and so she is kind of like my MMIP counterpart to my position, and she and I work very closely. She's out of the Rapid City office, but we work very closely because we know that our Native American populations are even more vulnerable to being exploited, and also because of the you know, the very rural areas that we have across most of the state that it's hard for for people to have access to services, there's less law enforcement, and just kind of eyes on everything that's going on. And so that's one reason the state created our position, was just to work together to address both those issues. Pine Ridge, other counties are one of the poorest in the whole country, and people get very desperate, uh, even selling family members, I think you referred to, Becky, uh, we've seen that, haven't we? Yeah, the familial trafficking. I mean, in the state of South Dakota, we have six of the poorest counties in the the United States here in South Dakota. When you have those kind of vulnerabilities, you also have survival techniques that become somewhat cultural um, within communities and sometimes aren't identified because that's all the families know. And so if I sell my child or I sell my niece, my nephew to be able to meet that basic need, Um, that becomes some of a cultural because of this poverty level, but also because of poverty, um, you're easy to be introduced to addiction. Um, You're also being introduced to other ways to facilitate, get money that maybe you don't have. And so what what we have seen on the reservations with the clients that we serve are, um, Native people are very much about family. Um, They're very close. um, They're very connected. And so organized fronts, um, maybe it could be organized fronts or it could be individuals watch cultures and they watch what, what is a vulnerability within that culture. And so what we have heard through those that we serve is uh, a lot of people are marrying into Native families or becoming boyfriends um, with uh, individuals who are single and they have children and that facilitates another form of trafficking. Even the familial cases that we have actually prosecuted um, or worked, we didn't prosecute, but worked with prosecution on the groom, the person who was buying the young girl actually was the person who introduced that technique to sell that child for drugs to him. And so he identified that mom, that child as being vulnerable. He identified that that mother had an addiction and he said, you know what? Um, You can sell your daughter to me to meet that. And now we have a case of familial trafficking. And so these individuals that are facilitating this type of trafficking are very good at what they do. They observe, they take time, they groom. And once they find your vulnerabilities, they will become, uh, they'll capitalize on that for their own profit. That daughter you mentioned, um, I, the statistic that I think you mentioned in their past programs is the life expect, expectancy of that daughter is probably seven years. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that also lends into less than 1% of victims are ever identified. Exactly what Mary Beth is saying is that we haven't had all the training that we need to formally identify victims of human trafficking. So sometimes that life expectancy, yes, it could be physical. It could be um, that they don't get the help that they need either. And so I think one of the keys, and, and I love hearing Mary Beth, and she's really key to this and her position is within the state is that 
we need to train um, because victims aren't self-identifying because of the techniques. And so that training piece is very, very important to be able to get victims to A, self-identify, but B, if they're not self-identifying, we help them identify and get out of those situations promptly. Well, the fact you have 28 on your staff now, what, what do all those 28 do? Yeah, we, um, we have an, several case managers that, um, and we primarily work in case management. So we outsource the mental health, we outsource the, the addiction part, but we are trained to be able to work alongside those individuals. So a majority of the staff work on the outreach. So if there are cases like Mary Beth had talked about with labor trafficking, we have a bilingual case manager on staff who's Spanish speaking. Um, we also have individuals that are able to go in the prison and the jails and do what we call reentry. Um, that means um, identifying forced criminality or other circumstances within our systems. And then we have three individuals that do youth case management and they work within uh, child protection services or school systems, uh, better identifying. And then we have a handful of individuals that work at the house and provide case management to those that live with us and their children. We also have a family development case manager who works with parents on reunification. Um, when we opened uh, Marissa's house in October of 2016, it was a unit that we had leased and we um, just really started to see a lot of success with the women and they had this deep desire um, to be reunified with their children and they would leave the program early and then they wouldn't be as successful once they got reunified because they still needed that additional support and, and life is hard <laughs> life is expensive and and so we decided to engage our community and say, will you build a new home for women and their children? And our community came together and did that. And so we hired a family development case manager who works with women to be able to reunify them with their children, but also teach them parenting to be successful in that element. Becky Rasmussen of Call to Freedom in Sioux Falls. Uh, Mary uh, Beth Holdsworth, the Human Trafficking State Coordinator down for South Dakota under the Attorney General, the Division of Criminal Investigation, uh, the uh, you can bring to bear the FBI and the Homeland Security. Um, this this is a whole different level. Uh, you you work with probably many uh, coordinators uh, uh, of your same uh, uh, position in North Dakota, Wyoming, Nebraska, Minnesota. I, I suppose also. Yes, and also Colorado. Yes, well, that's where the FBI training school is. Uh, the <laughs> the main thing I think, uh, Mary, and and you have the authenticity of having been through some of these things, uh, do a lot of women victims end up in prison because they steal or through drugs or whichever? The victims actually are in prison? So that's an interesting and very complex question. Um, you know, is is some of the forced criminality a direct result? So forced criminality itself would be a direct result of trafficking. Uh, but also we know that so many of the people who end up in prison have had tremendous amounts of trauma in their background. And so you know, we know that trauma creates oftentimes unhealthy coping skills, which can lead to other criminal behavior. So is it saying that everyone who is trafficked ends up in prison or everyone who is in prison ends up trafficked or has been trafficked? It's not really how it works. Um, but certainly we know that because of the high amounts of trauma that a person who has been trafficked has experienced and also how many of them have been involved in forced criminality, uh, whether it was the substance abuse or having to do uh, different criminal behaviors at 
the demand of their trafficking, we know that it is a reality. And certainly when I worked there, that's when I became very aware of the intersection of people, adults who grew up with childhood trauma, who were then exploited into trafficking. So once I became very aware of that intersection during my time there, that's when I really felt passionate to come out here and try to fix things on a bigger level if possible. Working with a women's prison in Pierre, like you say, the new prison, uh, certainly uh, is, there's going to be some advantages of that. Uh, I suppose you're pretty happy about the new prison that's going to be built for women in Rapid City. It's definitely going to be a benefit for those who are, um, you know, at the lower end of supervision, so minimal security. The only issue is, is that if we don't start improving efforts across the state to address trauma and resources to equip people, men, women, children, to heal from that trauma, uh, by the time they get that, that new facility built, it's going to be overrun as well. So we have got to stop focusing so much on the substance abuse issue and start focusing more at the hands of healing trauma if we want to see any amount of incarceration of men or women uh, decrease. Well, that sounds like your position in Pure uh, as the uh, human trafficking state coordinator is to coordinate with these law enforcement agencies like DCI and the, and the Homeland Security and the FBI and, and local uh, police uh, issues on that. Uh, the uh, one thing I think, Mary, is the legislature doing enough? Are there some things in the legislature that they can do to change and help some things? I know one thing that we have talked about here is improving our human trafficking definition for the state. And in doing so, we will then be able to better equip our law enforcement to conduct investigations based around that definition. Right now, it's very broad. And so it's kind of a little bit confusing when law enforcement go into a situation and they just think force, fraud, and coercion. What does that even mean? And so we want to be able to equip law enforcement with an actual, better, clear idea of what that looks like, um, what we are seeing in South Dakota, so they know what to identify, and then making sure that our prosecutors have the training that they need to be able to take that information from the investigation and bring those traffickers to prosecution. So that is a huge part of it, but it's also working with organizations like Becky's and so many others uh, across the state to make sure that our support services are strong, to make sure that our mental health services in the communities are strong. It's just, it's so many different levels that need to be addressed. And that's why I'm very thankful that I'm able to continue the work that I've been doing and continue to partner with all these people who are boots on the ground, really passionate. Um, So there are a lot of things that we need to improve legislatively, but the the initial one is going to definitely, hopefully, be the human trafficking definition in our state. Mary Beth Holdsworth, the human trafficking state coordinator. Uh, Becky, you were smiling a little bit when I asked that. The legislature is something that you've been involved with, too. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, yes, we got to start where we're at. And Mary Beth is exactly right. Um, I would, I want to kind of wrap back to that point on trauma too. Um, When we started Call to Freedom, we just served adults. And as those adults were sharing their journey, um, we began to realize their victimization happened when they were very, very young. And it never got identified within our systems. And they were in and out of juvenile detention centers and programs and and we started to realize that we need to add youth case managers to get to these kids, like Mary Beth said, much earlier to address that trauma because our jails, our prisons are going to be overflowing. And so we can address legislation. Um, we can get great legislation in place, but we're going to have to be able to have the responses in place 
to be able to uh, carry out what the legislation statutes say. So there's a lot of work um, in legislation. Not only is it just changing the statutes, but it's also making sure that those services and those responses are in place to adequately help people when they need it. Becky Rasmussen of the Call to Freedom in Sioux Falls. People have seen the movie Taken with Leon, what's his name? And, uh, of course, uh, if they went to Sound of Freedom, but it, it's it's like but not always like the movie. Uh, but uh, it does happen here in Sioux Falls. It does happen in South Dakota. I believe the statistic, uh, uh, Mary, is that uh, out of ten, seven would be women, two would be children, uh, girl ch- children, uh, but there's one that's, that would be a boy. Uh, how much uh, male do we see that you, you, you see from your position? I think right now here in South Dakota, we're not seeing as many men come forward, but there's two reasons for that, that we are trying to help South Dakotans, especially the men, know that they have the ability to come forward and get help without judgment, and that's that's kind of the culture that we're trying to create in South Dakota, Uh, because if you work with a lot of the the men that have been uh, trafficked in their past across the country, they are actually saying that the numbers are kind of closer to 40, 60, or 50, 50, that when they were involved in the lifestyle, there were just as many men who were being trafficked as there were women. So I think just because we aren't seeing it here right in our face, that is no indicator that it is not happening. I just think especially when you factor in the labor trafficking piece of it with construction companies and agriculture companies, trafficking is most certainly happening and probably much more on an equal number than than what we think it is. I, I believe that the uh, cartels see this as making more money than drugs. Is that true, Mary? Yes, that is true. It is quickly becoming one of the most, uh, and I hate saying profitable, but in their minds, that's what it is. Uh, avenues of income out there across the across the globe. It's 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 uh, something we need more education and communication about, Mary. Uh, Becky, do we see any foreign um, people like from Russia or Ukraine or from some of those places? Um, we do work with a foreign national population. We've seen both sex and labor trafficking with the foreign national population. Um, obviously, our bilingual case manager is Spanish-speaking, so we're seeing more of that Spanish population, um, Guatemalan, that are walking through our doors because of the resources we have in-house. That doesn't mean that it's not happening with a Nigerian group or other uh, individuals from other countries. We're just not at a capacity right now that we're successfully identifying it. And I think the other piece, too, when we talk about young boys that we've seen trend-wise is that sextortion. Um, through social media and recruitment um, as well. And I think that's something young boys have been a major target of, and especially in the last couple of years. Becky Rasmussen. Yes, I would agree with that. Mm. Sorry. No, go ahead, Mary. I was just going to say I would agree with that. We are seeing um, teen boys are really being targeted on for the online exploitation piece. And uh, for a while it was um, traffickers from other countries targeting them, but we are also seeing it uh, happening just here in the U.S. too, and direct results of traffickers in the U.S. looking for those vulnerable teens. We have so much to talk about, but only a couple minutes left. Mary, I'd like to have you uh, describe, I guess, what would you like to accomplish? Uh, You have the authenticity. You're now in a position as South Dakota Coordinator for Human Trafficking. What do you hope to uh, be able to, to accomplish? 
I'm just encouraging everyone that if you are interested in any of the trainings available, whether it's human trafficking training, um, adverse childhood experiences, enough abuse, internet safety. Um, I'm also working to bring a curriculum that I still oversee on a technical assistance standpoint um, at the prison and on parole, but I'm getting it into other communities and that works with just at-risk women um, who are, you know, maybe struggling with some of those vulnerabilities. If there, if there's an organization or agency interested in bringing that to their community, um, all these things that we can do and that I partner with other people like Becky's organization and others across the state, they're all free. And so if there's something that you have on your heart to just see an improvement on, see a training on, even if it's not something I can do, I will find someone that can do it. We just want to empower people to know that they don't have to be a victim. They don't have to be just a bystander who has no idea what's going on. There is something that we all can do to make our communities a lot stronger and to hopefully drop some of these vulnerabilities and empower each other to step step up and, and take a stand against any form of maltreatment. Mary, you're available for, if you if somebody, see from the Satoma Club, wants you to speak to them or the Lions Club, that type of thing? Yes, anyone, anyone, anywhere. I'm really excited. I've been getting out to, you know, different housing associations, different organizations that work with people with disabilities. You name it, I will come talk to you. And that is at no expense to the agency or the organization that wants to have it or the community. It can just be a community event. I'll help you put it together. Mary Beth Holsworth, the Human Trafficking State Coordinator for South Dakota under the South Dakota Division of Criminal Investigation and South Dakota Attorney General. Uh, also, Becky Rasmussen, uh, Call to Freedom. You are available to go out to service clubs, I know for sure, but our time is up. And we'll have to have both of you on again to talk about more uh, at another date. Thank you very much for being with us and Warren. Thank you for having us. Thank you.